See, people, when they click on this, they'll see the title. So they'll be like, poor Ed. What does that even fucking mean? However, because it's England, that's largely ignored and unstudied. I, I really wish for the sake of, of my sense of moral righteousness that I could get away with saying no. He had a goddamned ancestral home and a noble title until Germany became a republic. You know, n none of this highfalutin, you know, uh, critical role stuff. So they chewed through my favorite shit. No, I'm not helping them. I'm gonna say that you're getting into another kind of, you know, Mediterranean or psyche archetype kind of thing. Makes sense. Also, trade wins are a thing. Haha, just serious. Like, no, he really has a mat on it. Uh, yeah, we'll go off on a tangent. Um, as we keep doing. Like, yeah, I, this is this is yeah. how we fill time. teacher at the sixth grade level here in Northern California. And um, this, this has been a very eventful week. Um, my in-laws and my parents were here visiting um, at the same time, which is always entertaining. Um, and um, at, at the end of all of it um, earlier this evening, um, my my wife and I had a little bit of a moment where we were just really really tired, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, we we kind of need need a weekend or two to just not do anything, and uh, living living in a late capitalist uh, hellscape like we do makes that really hard. Um, simply because we don't have any time other than the weekend to do a lot of shit. So yeah, that's just kind of where, where we are. We're tired. Um, how are you doing? Oh, uh, well, I'm Damien Harmony. I am a U.S. history teacher here at the high school level up here in Northern California. I'm doing pretty well. Um, I do not have an exhausting uh, child because mine are now getting close to the age of the ages that we teach. Yeah. In fact, both of mine are the ages that you teach. Yes, this is true. So uh, I promise you it gets easier, even though you guys are playing zone defense and it must be nice because I'm <laughs> I'm in a fast break. I'm in a fast break on the defensive end and like they got two all on one. the time. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I have, figured yeah. it out. Like I, I know okay. the pattern of their passing or, or what have you. But um, I yeah. do promise you that it does get easier as okay. on. glad uh, to hear that. Can't speak to you about the in-laws and parents both coming because I am a fish. Um, so. <laughs> I wandered off. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I will tell you this. Um, I had a moment that was pretty proud of recently. Uh, my son and I have been playing uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance. Right. The video okay. game yeah, from before he was made. Yeah. Um, and uh, we finished it. And then he's like, can we play the Civil War one? I said, yes, absolutely. Okay. And this is the one, you know, that you remember he wrote the Sonic fan fiction about. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. So now we're doing the Civil War one and he's been hungry for that. So I play with him with that one. There comes a point in that game where you get to choose. Are you going registration? Or are you going to rebel? Right. And right. I took him and I was like, you need to go listen to everybody. And I said, and I am not a part of this decision. So don't even look to me for any kind of guidance here. He goes around, talks to Luke Cage, talks to Mr. Fantastic, talks to Songbird, talks to uh, Spider-Woman, mm -hmm. gets all their opinions. And then it's like, okay, we got to go choose. He looks at me, he's like, well, what are we going to do? And I was like, no, 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 your choice. Like, it's a video game and you get to choose. I already chose both and played both. So I know how it goes. Right, right. And uh, he's he's sitting thinking it over, and he says, and and he's like, okay, we're gonna rebel. I said, are you sure? Because you you won't get to play Iron Man for quite some time now. And he says, uh, Iron Man's my favorite, but Cap's right. You don't get to tell people that they have to register. I was like, all right, here we go. Now, yeah, exactly. I'm a huge Cap mm -hmm. fan. Here's the funny thing: is that source material, the the comic book source material. I'm a hundred percent on Cap's side. Like, even though I do not want to live in a world where self-appointed vigilantes determine yeah, well, uh, life yeah. and death I mean, and property yeah. damage, um, yeah. it still beats Tony Stark went full villain, has a secret prison, and uh, and and frankly, yeah. like just yeah, they and... do to Robbie Baldwin, um, and yeah. and ultimately his his inability to answer jessica jones um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the comics so given that source material i'm obviously on cap side right i'm a huge cap stan anyway um in the mcu i actually i end up siding with iron man um i know uh philosophically i'm against him practically i'm with him because okay. it's okay. not about because here's why because ross straight up says because when when natasha says well what if we don't want to go with it and he says consider yourself retired then so there's an out like yeah also, but also here's the other oh, thing though in the mcu the only superpowered beings that exist at that time are kind of all the ones that are in that room so it just becomes about that club okay and there's no secret identities other than Spider-Man. And he doesn't even show up until Iron Man well, brings him into the fight, right? So yeah. the morality of the Sokovia yeah. has nothing to do with Spidey, too. So I actually, it's kind of interesting because eventually I think we're going to end up debating with uh, with um, friend of the show, Tim Watts, comic book creator of mm -hmm. the Republic, in the pub that he built behind his house. Um it's uh we're gonna end up debating with him over this and the 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 dirty little secret is that i actually am probably going to agree with him if we go with mcu if we go with comics it'll be a much more lively debate um but mcu yeah. and again there's a secret prison but that's not a secret prison that iron man created 
Yeah. So Iron Man's not wrong. Now Iron Man, Iron Man gets off the hook in the MC. I think I think is a very big, very big important part of that conversation is Iron Man kind of gets off the hook in the MCU. I'm going to goal. argue. So, yeah, well, yeah. The whole time he's trying to offload his conscience. Like, yeah, well, yeah. The, I mean, hundred and ten percent. That's the the aspect of grief that he's going through for the PTSD yeah. that he's suffering. Yeah. Yeah. And and like I can totally understand that, and that totally mm-hmm. humanizes it. Um, and in that situation, Tony Stark is not the the movies don't villainize him. Correct. The movies villainize Ross. <laughs> yes. Fundamentally, fundamentally, the bad guy is Ross. Yeah. Which like still tracks with the comics because holy shit. Mm-hmm. But um, my my own take on it in both universes is uh, what's referred to as the 308 rule. Okay. If you have the ability to stop something bad from happening, mm-hmm. you have a responsibility to stop a bad thing from happening. So in a universe in which you have Hydra, Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you you have a a responsibility if if you are Cap, mm-hmm. and we're in a universe where there is Hydra, you have a responsibility to do what needs to be done to protect people from that threat because you are the one who has the ability to do that. That's true. No, I get it. I mean, if I had a collection of zip ties, um, and bear mace. And uh, maybe some husbanded weapons that I stored with some friends on the <laughs> town. Yeah, uh, and the ability yeah. to make a noose and go and stop the certification of an election. I would also feel the moral responsibility. I, I yeah, I I saw where you were going right off the bat from that, <laughs> and that's um, the, that's the yeah, problem. and that and that that is that is certainly that is certainly the flaw. If yes. that's the only if that's the only guiding principle behind your morality, right. As my then, brother yeah. said, I trust Cap. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. It is. Like, um, and again, my brother has always been smarter than me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and I mean, we, we talked about this when we talked about Civil War. In the comics, it's very clearly um, part of the issue is the central part of the issue is that one side approaches superpowers as being like gun rights yes which is which is essentially a property right 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 and the other side jessica jones luke cage Mm -hmm. cap look at it as okay no i can't put this in a locker right this is who i am you are you are forcing me to register based on an inherent characteristic that i can't do anything about Mm -hmm. like that i didn't ask for that i didn't well, Luke in the Cage case of Jessica Jones that. and Luke Jessica Cage, Jones didn't ask for that. Yeah, like Cap can't make that argument because he like he, right, he but, leapt at the call. But right. yeah, and and uh, for Tony Stark and for anybody who's part of the Iron Man genus, mm-hmm. um, it literally is a property issue. Register right. your fucking power suit, like right. you know, <laughs> yeah, <Absolutely. laughs> and and so and so for him especially with all of his privilege and money, he can put the suit away and walk away and retire. He can opt out of his status. Yes. Yeah. 
you know, and that's why I said specifically strictly to the MCU, yeah, uh, movie of Civil War, I I end up on Iron Man's side despite myself because yeah. there's the, the there's twelve superpowered beings. That's it, like yeah. in the world, and they're all in that room. You know, now in in both uh, the 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 comic and in the movie, um, it's interesting that the rallying cry for both. Um, ends up being somebody who gets completely fucked by it six ways from Sunday um, in the MCU. Uh, Wanda is absolutely screwed uh, mm-hmm. by everything that happened. She killed like eight people and they're like, oh my God, this is terrible. It's like that guy was a suicide bomber and the market was filled with what, like 200 people? Yeah. Like that's that's like, hey, you killed four people. I saved four, I saved a kindergarten class. Yeah, like and and given what the state of education today, that's forty kids. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and in the, in the comic, uh, it absolutely, um, you know, screws somebody as well. Like Speedball gets completely fucked, as I've covered quite a bit. So, anyway, yeah. So all right, uh, so on to I am, more. but yeah, my ch- my son chose. To not register, even though that means not getting play as Black Panther or Good not lad. Black Panther, uh, uh, Iron, Iron, Iron Man. Man, Iron Man. Good Sorry, lad. Good lad. Yeah. So anyway, uh, when last we spoke, uh, we were still stuck in Europe dealing with eugenicists. Um, given that I'm trying to get us. Oh, you're pouring your third beer of the night. Um, yep. Given that I'm trying to get us to examine an American movie, Idiocracy. We should take a look at eugenics in America. So take a gulp, pour it out. Uh, yeah, that is that is a full, full. Uh, I don't know what you'd call that cup. Um, a goblet. A um, goblet. That is a full goblet. Uh, and so for anybody it. who's so for anybody who's interested, um, I do recommend what I'm about to drink. This is uh, from uh, a brewery I really like. This is Dragon's Milk Crimson Keep. It's a bourbon barrel aged red ale, and uh, it it's very very tasty. And for uh, the purposes of what we're doing tonight, a very important point is it is eleven percent alcohol. Oh, there you go by volume. Whereas for anybody in the audience who's not a drinker, uh, your average macro brewery beer is about five and a half percent. There you go. So anyway. Yes, eugenics in in American history. So let's start with Alexander Graham Bell. Uh, <laughs> because of course we're starting with Alexander Graham Bell. <laughs> one of one of the great bastards of American history. Yes. Yeah. Yes, well, so Alexander Graham Bell uh noted that in Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, that deafness was more frequent there than anywhere else. By what kind of like did he have did he did he give receipts actually yeah there's there's quite a bit there um so martha's vineyard was and still is an island off the coast of massachusetts uh but on that island it had served as a summer escape for the wealthy starting in the 1870s which means that in fact there's a local population there as well and that there's a visitor population so rich people are the visitors the locals who are there amongst them Hereditary deafness was uncommonly high, notable to the point where that in some t- small towns on that I- on that island, 
um, as many as one in 25 people were deaf. Really? Yeah. And on the whole island, it was roughly one in 155, which just to give you an idea at that time, the, the frequency of hereditary deafness at that time was one in 5,730. Wow. Okay. So, so that is, that is in fact, statistically significant. Quite so. Yeah. Okay. After we'd been talking about the assholes we'd been talking about in our last episode, I thought that was just something he pulled out of his ass anecdotally, but okay, no. no. All uh, right. And again, it's Alexander Graham Bell. So he's especially interested in sound and hearing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he wrote up a paper and delivered it to the National Academy of Sciences in 1883. The date keeps coming up, right? Oh, okay. Alexander Graham Bell theorized that since deafness was hereditary, deaf couples would have a higher instance of having deaf children, and therefore they shouldn't fuck. Mm. Now, I say they shouldn't fuck because contraception back then was largely don't fuck. Um, yeah. That doesn't mean that he's advocating for celibacy. He's advocating for uh, not breeding. So... If you if you're using Pisaris, which I don't think is is really big in the U.S. until uh, about 20 years later, um, or if you're pulling out, uh, although that's considered onanism and that'll soften your brain. Yeah, so, yeah. But anyway, like you get the idea. I'm I'm yeah. broad brush, theoretically saving strokes, but uh, now I'm talking all about. Yeah. It. But they shouldn't fuck. Thus, Alexander Graham Bell was advocating for negative eugenics. Um, remember? Okay. Keep, keep yeah. The, undesirable trait having people from having sex uh allow the desirable trait having people to fuck as much as possible yes um now this combined with bell's love of livestock breeding which by the way was a thing for him um, okay got, yeah i was a little stunned when i found that out too um which i guess it makes sense again everybody at that time seems to like look at how many times we have brought that up right l frank oh Long, yeah over and over yeah when i mentioned the the um the british famine in ireland like one of the reasons people were getting kicked off their land uh was for yeah. luxury sheep breeding and it makes sense okay, with stop hold on yeah. luxury sheep breeding yeah similar to luxury chicken luxury breeding. chickens yeah, yeah. Wow, so, I yeah, had was... not realized it was luxury sheep breeding. Uh -huh. I knew it was sheep breeding, yeah. which also, by the way, is the reason why the Scots Highlanders were kicked off of their lands during the clearances. Right. Um, so, I mean, you know, that's the thing going going back a ways. Yeah. But luxury sheep breeding. Okay. Right. All it's right. a good way for rich people to flex. Um, okay. Yeah. And kick off that's people fair. they've never met from the lands that they don't really see. Yeah, well, there you are. Yeah. So Bell was into that as well, and that gets him appointed to a eugenics commission, uh, which was absolutely informed by the concepts of animal husbandry, and they then took those and tried to apply them to humanity as often as possible, like you do. Um, now, interestingly enough, the deaf population on Martha's Vineyard Island and the hearing population, largely on their own, had developed their own sign language. And the deaf members of that community were absolutely independent and capable of living a full productive life in their community as equals like you do. Um, that's, that's actually really awesome. Yeah. Now, this independence of people with what Bell saw as a disability was what initially drew his interest. He's like, wait a minute. And that led him to thinking of a new way to solve deafness by the same negative eugenics he advocated. Well, look, they've come up with a way around it we should really eliminate the thing that they're having to come up with a way around. 
and yeah. I kind of get it. Like if your lens is um, that, let's say that your son, uh, like, just is 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 shorter than most kids or something, right? And Which he like, is but okay. right. And you're like, look, he had to come up with a way to get up onto the counter to get up to that thing. Okay. We don't want the next generation to have to do all that work. So let's just sterilize your son. I mean, wouldn't that I'm be... going to need? I I mean, like, I know that this is all all the completely logic, though, theoretical. Right? Yeah, no, yes. I, I see, I see the train of logic, and I understand yeah. that's the whole reason. Yeah, that you were that you were saying all of that, yeah. but right now, yeah, I have to tell you, it is it is physically hurting me not to get up out of this chair and go grab a broadsword. Like, <laughs> fair enough. You, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, from from the point of view of somebody who's looking who's at it as parent, a disability, right? Yeah. Like and, and not I'm seeing gonna... the full life of like he fucking accommodated himself. He's fine. Yeah, like he figured it out. Like like that. You're that not bitching thing. that people are using stairs, are you? Yeah. Then shut up. You know. Fuck off. <laughs> like, yeah. like he showed resilience. He showed yeah. creativity. He he like he's smarter than your fucking kid because right. he figured out how to do this. Fuck off. Right. No, because you know, he wasn't yeah. born with these privileges. Yes. Like yeah. so, obviously his life must not be worth living. Like right. what? Right. Or what he, the do we really fuck? do you really want him to have to pass those difficulties on to the next generation? And it's uh, like talk like, about begging the question. Yeah, number one. <laughs> also speaking as a short guy, fuck you. Right. Like, right. I already did. Like, are you gonna would you want me to go into eugenics jail? Like what see, the fuck? Okay, and see, and as a result of your your uh being allowed to propagate recklessly. We have another generation of ladder draggers. Yeah. <laughs> ladder draggers. I love that. So <laughs> yeah. And Fuck I you. mean, you know, um, shorter people you know. tend to find shorter people too. So you're not really improving the race. So and it's like, fucker, you could have built the house a little shorter too, like, asshole. Like, like, like there's so there's much a, that goes into so all many of this. Things. Yeah, yeah, there's so many systemic issues. But but on that last point about shorter people finding shorter people, this is total segue, but sure. I, I have to include it. When my son was very little, uh -huh. when, like under a year old, sure, um, he he was very little. Uh, right. Weight wise, he was okay, but height, you know, length wise, height wise, he was he was very small. And uh, we would go in for his checkups, and for the first you know year and a half. Um, he was, he was his percentile numbers for, for size and, and everything were, were small. And, uh, my wife was really like worried about this in an outsized kind of way because like the numbers are small. Well, after, after two years of this, um, our pediatrician at the time said, okay, no, look, the numbers are going up. Right. He's growing fine. He's and this is the same, the same reassurances she'd been giving my yeah. wife for yeah, like yeah. two years. But she said, you know, he's growing. That's all that matters, you know. Um, and and my wife said, Well, you know, it's just, and I understand this is silly of me, but it's just that the numbers are always so low. And the doctor went, Okay. And and she and I were both, my <laughs> wife and I were both in the room. And the doctor said, Okay, and and turned to me and said, How tall are you? Right. I said, five, six. She turned to my wife, how tall are you? Five four. She says, okay. When I so here's your son's, here's your son's, you know, growth curve, right? right? And here's where he is. And you know, this is, you know, 
yeah. 10th percentile or something. And then uh, let's let's take your two charts and plug that in there. <laughs> we saw our two lines on it, and she's like, he's exactly where he belongs. Right. <laughs> My wife actually got a little, she's like, I understand you're trying to be reassuring, but like, did you have to call me out like that? Like, holy shit. Yeah, clearly, because you've been worried for two <laughs> like, yeah, years well, about yeah, a thing yeah, that yeah. is patently true. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I anyway, have a similar story. Just, my children yeah. have always t- been like in the the upper quartile <laughs> of everything. <laughs> yeah, eighty fifth, ninetieth percentile. Yeah, right. Yeah, and and so you know, their mom and I are divorced, and you know, she's always worried on that end that yeah. you know they're they're too big, they're too. And I was like, you do remember who their father is, right? <laughs> and they both you're... have my hair and coloring because you're six. What? Six. Six, six, six feet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, like, I'm like, you do remember who their father is. She's like, nobody in my family is that tall. I'm like, how are you a nurse if you don't understand Mendelian <laughs> genetics? Like, <laughs> you mated with a Highlander twice. <laughs> how? How? Like, how oh, no, I know nobody this? on your side of the family is, is, is that tall. I know because I kept the wedding album. Like... I can look at the pictures. I'm a tent pole, like <laughs> more more like a main mast. <laughs> and, let's be and, honest, yeah. but still, <laughs> like yeah. And well, and and the thing is, it's it's the other thing is, yeah, you're right. Nobody in your family is that tall, but nobody in your family is mine and my wife's height. You know, you're, no, you're no, not, on her side like, of the family, she was talking that's, about like that's what I'm saying. Family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. n- nobody, nobody on your family is is as tall as your husband, but also nobody in your family is my height <laughs> that's true i mean well you know, a lot of the gals um okay well, everybody's like five but, eight or shorter you know and, okay but and again i'm still. just like mm, you know, <laughs> yeah i i really think one of the worst things that that pediatricians have done has been like showing us the charts and the measurements yeah like, let us know if it pings below the fifth percentile for us like yeah you yeah. know and he doesn't for you guys you know what i mean but whatever but uh, the other one is that, of course, when um, we were trying to figure out, you know, what was going on with my son, because uh, my son has cerebral palsy and mild autism, um, and we did the genetic counseling, and they asked at one, or they, they said at one point, they're like, well, um, I, I have this, this is this is a medical record, it says a child may have macrocephalopathy, which is big headedness, yeah. yeah, but appears which... relatively benign because so does father. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I told you you had a big dome. I have a big dome. And, <laughs> you know, it's been masked by the fact that I have grown <laughs> over the years. But, I love the fact that it's, yeah. it's big, long word, macrocephalopathy. Yeah. You got a big head. Yeah, big headed. You got a big, you got a so, pumpkin dome. Like, yeah. yeah. So I'm Charlie Brown. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. You know, that's that's the thing. <laughs> so so, yeah, uh, Alexander Graham Bell would be like, OK, well, clearly Damien is superior because he has a large head and therefore he's got. Oh, a long right. Because the, because, the yeah, the, the yeah. Uh, f- not phlebotomy, phrenology. Yeah. Phlebotomy? <laughs> yeah. Well, like I'm into my ah, third beer yes, of the night. Should be. Like, yes. come on. Yeah. Give me a Flea little circusy. bit of grace here. Uh, but, yeah. But yes, uh, because of the phrenology. phrenology. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, you know, 
that's that's Alexander Graham Bell. That's that's Martha's Vineyard. Clearly, like people are thinking of things in in I'm going to say scientific terms because it's different than well, there must have been a poison in the air. It is different than that. And we maybe add the qualification pseudoscientific. Yeah, yeah. But what they saw is scientific. And that's so Okay. Okay. I'm gonna put it, like it had not been it had not been right debunked. I'm okay. not gonna put air quotes around it. I'm gonna put like parentheses around it. Okay. Maybe maybe grayscale parentheses around it, you know? Because <laughs> because we don't want to be presentist, as well, we it's not talked that. about it's in our that last episode. They were genuinely trying to apply what they understood as science at that time to the yeah. thing. Yeah. It's it's you know the 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 water that they were using for their slides was the problem, you know, and they yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that analogy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Also keep in mind at this point, 1882, 1883, they're still 34, 44 years away from figuring out that ether is not a real substance. Like oh, shit, that was that late, was yeah. it? <laughs> God damn it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hoover was president. Um, (laughs) Okay. So now Charles Davenport has entered this awful, awful chat. Charles Davenport, uh, whose name will come up for quite some time. uh, He was a zoologist whose wealthy parents wanted him to become an engineer. Oh, God. Uh, Another fucking zoologist from a wealthy family. Yeah. Yeah. Turns out that's that's villain 101. Apparently. Um, he he was a huge fan of Galton, uh, Sir Francis because, Galton from the last episode. Because of course he was. Because they met in 1901 in London, um, and <sighs> in in 1904 Davenport moved uh, over from zoology to eugenics full time, and he established the Eugenics Record Records Office six years later in 1910, using money from the Carnegie Institution and E. H. and Mary Harriman's railroad fortune. And this becomes the locus of eugenics in the United States. The Carnegie Foundation? Yeah, they gave him money. And so did the railroad Ugh. tycoons, E.H. and Mary Harriman. E.H. Harriman yeah. and Mary Harriman. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Oh now, this this All is right. in Coldwater, New York. Um, and okay. it, it becomes, anytime I talk about the eugenics records office, this is where I'm talking about. Okay. Now, now, in America, eugenics was still largely something that was just discussed and accepted broadly amongst scientists at the time. Like, oh, well, yeah, of course that's true. You know, I'm, my kid's smart because I'm smart and therefore. Um, yeah. They held a few scientific conferences throughout the world and largely talked to each other about it, uh, building on each other's ideology and research. Charles Davenport is the reason that eugenics in the United States got all the steam behind it that it did, though. Uh, well, that and the American dominant culture at the time that had a vested interest in explaining through biology what had been made true by law already. Um, so a year after establishing the eugenics records office, Charles Davenport wrote something called he wrote a book called Heredity in Relation to Eugenics. So, you know, this is. Yeah. Okay. This became a standard college textbook for biology and zoology for about 40 years thereafter. Um. Oh, yeah. uh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. hold on. Yeah, back back the truck up. Sure, sure. Hold hold on a second. Yeah. Um. 
This is in 19, what 11. now? 1911. Yeah. And, and, and this, the, give me the At title of the book years. again. 30. Okay. Uh, heredity and relation to eugenics. Heredity and relation to eugenics. In relation, but yeah. In relation. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that and that remained a mainstream Standard. university biology textbook and zoology textbook. Yeah. Okay. For about thirty to forty. For for into the forties. Yes. In the United States. Yes. Cheers, Cheers. sir. <laughs> because I wow. Now Davenport divided people into five, into he divided people into different races and he used those as the basis for who was more or less fit for continued human improvement over time. <laughs> really? Yep. Like okay, so so here's a question. Sure. How how close was his system mm -hmm. uh to um I'm forgetting the name because I'm I'm in my third beer. Uh the 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 Englishman Galton. Galton. Mm -hmm. How had because it's it's well, also another Galton it's also five ten. races. Okay, Galton, Galton did, did ten. ten. Uh Madison Grant did five. Um okay. there was another guy in the seventeen hundreds who did five, um, whose name I'm forgetting. Okay. Um, but he did five. Um and he he did the the they end in oids, um, right right, uh, which is where we get mongoloid right as a holdover, right unfortunate fucking term. Okay, mm -hmm. so okay. uh, but yeah, so this okay, idea of there being different right. races and and distinct ones is a pretty common one. Some people would say five, some people would say six, some people said ten. Okay, um, so yeah. like what what. In in his division mm -hmm. of of humanity into more than one species, because mm -hmm. fuck we're stupid. Um, how what was what was the distinction in his what what made his system of differentiation different from the other ones? I think it was just more um how to put this. You know how like sometimes you'll you'll see this kind of like not quite cannibalistic aspect of academia, yeah. but where they talk about like, I'm, I'm going to use color scheme for just a second. They're going to talk okay. about like the background color of our zoom is okay. more of an ebon black. And then 20 years later, someone's like, you know, when harmony said ebon black, what he really meant was jet black. And then 10 years wow. after that, somebody's like, okay. not really jet black. So it's much kind as of cold. Matte. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, the distinctions are distinctions without differences, and they're okay. and again they're all making it up. Like, yeah, well, it, yeah. it's like adding, it's almost like adding classes in D anD D. It's like, okay, you realize okay. you're just doing magic user or martial character, right? You know that you're doing that, yeah, or or healer. Like you're yeah. just doing those three. It just, you know, okay. Well, you got a barbarian now. Okay, so like a stronger martial class, yeah. Well, no, no, this is a druid. Okay, so a nature healer, you know? Yeah. Stuff like that, right? Or, you know, okay. you got skirmishers. Okay, fine. You finally did find a difference enough. This is skirmisher. Fine. Yeah. You know? But this it's is a subspecies. Right. This is a skirmisher <laughs> who uses, like, arrows from a distance and, and is good at tracking things. Okay, so he's a nature skirmisher. Got it. Yeah. Like, like okay. Yeah. So, now, 
Davenport, along with many others, believed strongly that he had proven the, quote, science of human improvement by better breeding, end quote. Because none of the other guys that came before had figured it out. No, but more like he had been like, okay, they all had it right. And now, now it's okay. So, so, so he considered himself the seal of the prophets in terms of, of eugenicism. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's still couched in the same stuff. Fuck. So, so they all, they all had part of the picture, but now I, I'm, I've perfected Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. By the way, to, to any to any of our listeners who who may be Muslim, I I apologize for any uh, any offense I may have caused by the use of the term "seal of the prophets" in that context. But that's oh, that's right, just right, right. kind of how that how that came out. Yeah. But he he was he was characterizing himself in that role. Yes. Is yes. okay. So Got it. and by the way, to any couch enthusiasts, you're welcome for his name. Um. So. <laughs> Nice. Now, nice. This this idea, of course, means that some people should breed more and others should breed less. And of course, you and I know what that means. Um, well, I mean, obviously, breeding, anybody yeah. who's like me should be breeding more. Clearly, yeah, yeah. he would say that about yeah. himself. Yes, like because um, that's always the way these things turn out. Yeah, and he was clear about it too. He was actually very upfront about it. And since, according to Davenport, race determined behavior. Therefore, behavioral and psychological traits were hereditary, and if the United States wants to improve as a country, this meant that mixing races would slow everything down. Okay, I need to I need to interject here. I know I'm doing it. I'm doing it enough that this is going to be like an eight episode slog. But yeah, no, I, this is only a twenty three pager. But yeah, fuck. this is going to be an okay. eight episode slog. So. People are going to be like, like six episodes in. Like, are you ever going to get to the fucking movie? But yeah, when the hell are we actually going to talk about Judge and and the film? Yeah. But um, like, none of these guys when mm-hmm. they when they talk about well, you know, and mixing the races is going to get in the way of us, you know, achieving, you know, mm-hmm. what, what we do improvement. Um, like, have none of them been on a farm and actually? Because w- one of the things that when when you were engaging in animal husbandry. One of the things you look for is uh, every so often you have to introduce fresh blood to get what you call hybrid vigor. Well, that's still selectively breeding in the traits that you want. Yeah, well, yeah, I understand. That's and but... that's that that is you're still you're still choosing the hybrid vigor. You're not just saying go out and like for the next two okay. generations, fuck whatever. Okay. Yeah. However, I'm mm-hmm. I'm 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 focusing on the racial quote unquote racial purity aspect of this. I'm glad that you are, because what which... I'm about to tell you is going to piss you off. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> because you know, because if if you're if you're trying to argue about you know racial purity, racial mm-hmm. purity, mm-hmm. like okay, look at any kind of competitive show animal, right? And when you when you breed them. It, when you interbreed them with themselves too mm-hmm. much, you wind up getting the Habsburgs. Sure, but if you're like a, as a kid of 4-H, I didn't breed my Dutch rabbits with Californians or with Netherland dwarves and think, oh, these offspring are going to be better Dutch rabbits. Okay, fair. All right, all right, so, fine. 
but you, but you get what I'm saying. I like, do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because this is this is just is so patently fucking well, we talked wrong. About this, like on we its talked about face. this last episode where yeah, what they don't seem to get is that the entire culture of animal husbandry is fully controlled too. Yeah. And and yeah. the culling of the herd happens often. And they would have said, yeah, well, yeah, that's that's why you need to poison children. Um, mm. okay. Now, um, when Speaking I talk thing. about mixed breeding, right, I'm not talking about what was against the law in most states. Oh no, no, I'm talking about mixed breeding amongst oh. white people. Uh, what? Because, well, because if a British person were to breed with an Italian person, that Italian person might carry undesirable traits that don't don't obviate themselves in that oh, no. and might get no. passed down. Because if people have recessive traits that don't physically show themselves, their recessive traits could continue to work their way into the population, staying in the gene pool and weakening America. This means then, of course, that the only way to stop that accidentally no. thinking that you're fucking a white person, but it's not really oh, a white person, no. or it's not the right kind of white person, uh -huh. that means that you you uh. need to make sure that certain people don't get allowed to come into the country for fear of their mixing with other more desirable people, which absolutely and, and is going is... to lead to the 1921 <sighs> Emergency Quota Act and, of course, its sequel, the Immigration yeah. Act. Yeah. So so this is this is where we also get into the tangential but kind of important and related conversation about the definition of whiteness. Oh, it's not tangential. And and, and when and when it is and when it is that Italian people in the United States actually attain status as white. Oh, this is central. And the Irish actually attain status as white. Yeah. yeah, this is this is central, not tangential. Ugh, fuck. So okay. Davenport heavily lobbied Congress through a man named Albert Johnson, who was a representative of Washington State's 3rd District. Uh, okay. he, he used Johnson as his as his leverage piece uh, to, to use legislation to restrict the living shit out of immigration. Albert Johnson <sighs> co-sponsored the bill that became the 1924 law. Uh, representative from the 3rd District of Washington State, Albert Johnson, said in 1919 that Jewish immigrants were, quote, filthy, un-American, and often dangerous in their habits, end quote. Wow. And Johnson, uh, Albert Johnson, representative of Washington State's 3rd District, also appointed Harry Laughlin of the Eugenics Records Office to the committee as an expert on issues of race for the eventual bill and he said that the 1924 Immigration Act would stop, quote, a stream of alien blood with all its inherited misconceptions respecting the relationships of the government of the governing power to the governed. End quote. Now I'm going to get into more of Lachlan in a, in a little bit. But for now, just know that the House Committee on Immigration and Naturalization that fed into this bill included an expert on race who believed that Jewish people were inherently feeble-minded, that Italians were naturally prone to excessive insanity, and who wrote a comedy play on eugenics for eugenicists. 
which is like the most fucked up version of for us by us that somebody could find to do. Yeah. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Um. So presumably, then, mm-hmm. um, the the people that that they have all placed at the top of the quote unquote desirable mm-hmm. line. Um, are are oddly enough Anglo-Saxon, uh, United Kingdom, uh, residents that we want to have coming into the country. Yeah, with Scots slightly below them. Right. Yeah. Uh, the Welsh probably not even being considered as a separate group because nobody thinks about the Welsh until you know the modern era, at least in the United mm-hmm. States. Um, and and then you know. Oddly enough, then probably the French. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause... Germans. Germans probably way up high there. Yeah. Well, if you remember Madison Grant, the passing of the great race. Yeah. He, he separated into latitudinal bands. So Nordic, Alpine and Mediterranean. Fuck me. Really? Yeah. So Nordics being. Yeah. Oh, the top, ob- top, top. Ob- obviously, yeah. because, yeah. Mm. All right. By the way, the third district I... presently, third district of Washington state presently is 89% white. I don't know what it was back then. <laughs> presently. Yeah. Uh, uh, back then, I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to make it getting... stab in the dark and say it was 105% white. I think like. Clark County, Washington is most mm-hmm. of it, and the biggest city is Vancouver, Washington. Yeah. Um, and you lived that up in right. the, the I well, I lived in Seattle, might, but okay. yeah. So you might have um, some understanding geographically of where I'm talking. Yeah, about. yeah. No, I, I I get I get where you are talking. It's the northernmost part of of the state. No, no, this North... one's the southernmost. Vancouver? Yeah, right? No, Vancouver is near Vancouver, Canada. Is it Vancouver, it was... Washington? Is is the is the northwesternmost part of the state? Oh, okay. Um, southern part of the state is Tacoma. Okay. Well, yeah, it's 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 a uh... aroma of Tacoma. Yeah, as I recall on the map, and and I could absolutely be wrong, um, but uh, yeah, it borders Oregon. Like, what's what's the uh. Like okay, wait, hold on. I'm thinking of something. Hold on, I'm thinking okay. of something very different because I just realized I'm I'm again three beers in and uh, yeah, third district includes uh, yeah, Vancouver's way in the south, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, yeah. it's 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 right on the Columbia River, which That's what which that river then is. makes okay, makes things go. makes things make a lot more sense because of course Oregon until I don't remember what year uh-huh. uh, had a law preventing non-white people from moving into the state. Yeah, it was the mid eighteen hundreds. The yeah. passed by the first, the, the eventual first governor of California. Yeah. Um. Okay. So. So. Uh, the right. Immigration Act of nineteen twenty four sought to limit the genetic regression that eugenicists clutched all the pearls to, uh, by limiting immigration. Um. So look, if we can't outbreed them, we can stop them from coming in, and then we'll get a foothold. Um, now, the Immigration Act of 1924 specifically was aimed at Asian people. Um, so any person from Asia, and even more specifically, it also aimed at Southern and Eastern Europeans. Because by 1924, 
over 4 million Italians had 4.1 million, no, 4.2 million Italians had come over since the 1880s and or 1870s and 4.1 million um, Austrians had come over uh, since that same time. So clearly we got to limit those two groups because they look white. Like you could, we could pass anti-Asian immigration laws, no problem. We've done it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But like, how do you how do you weed out the not white white ones? Well, country of origin will help a lot with that. Not white white ones, like yeah. really, yeah. Like, you you can't. They you hadn't can't discovered be that ether wasn't a substance yet. <laughs> I have to keep coming back to this. <laughs> But like you can't be satisfied with just the no. level of racism of like, well, you know, the shape of their eyes is different or they have more melanin than we do. Nope. No, 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 that's that's not enough. It's got to be. Well, you know, they're from the Mediterranean. Right. Like, OK, oh. is there a distinction? Is there a distinction mm-hmm. between Norman French and and like, you know, Mediterranean Southern French? Yes. Where, where, fuck me, really? Yes. I mean, not legally, no, but like people would be like, well, what part of France? I mean, come on. You've, you've heard that joke about there's a Flemish and a Walloon walking down the pier and a bird shits on the Walloon and the Flemish says, oh my God, do you, do you want a tissue? And the, the, the Walloon's like, why? He's a mile away. You can't wipe him from here. Like it's fucking Walloons. Like. (laughs) Of course, there's there's distinction. Wow, and 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 I suppose now, okay, now hold on, hold okay. on. There was there was gradation of you know how 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 French are you, right? If we're talking about Spaniards, yeah, Spaniards are just like oh, they're yeah. so Mediterranean, like they're they're not they're not in the same category as the French they're at Iberian. all. Okay, yeah, like insulares. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> they got that actually, hot temper. Yeah. <sighs> it's it's all that shit, right? The French Jesus. are laconic and sleepy and lazy. The Italians are anarchists. Uh the the Austrians <laughs> might be Jews. Uh the <laughs> Germans Well, but but hold on, but the, but the Austrians are mm-hmm. alpine. They are. But again, might be Jews. Uh, because okay. the Austrian Empire actually opened up citizenship to yeah. Jewish people, yeah, uh, trying yeah. to escape Russia because fuck the Russians, right? And right. Don't get me yeah. Started on the Slavs. Oh, so, right. Yeah. Slavs. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. Jesus. So, it's not enough to create an artificial category called whiteness. You've got to. Nope. Okay. You got to. So being not not white, Asians <sighs> were easy easy to pick out of a crowd mm. and pass laws against letting them fuck white people. Um. But an Italian immigrant's grandson, 40 years down the road, he could pass for white. And if he passed, think of the fucking that he could do with a truly white person. And then think of the naturally insane children that that could produce who had just enough of the good whiteness in them to mask their insanity and yet weaken another generation by fucking a feeble-minded Jewish woman's great-grandchildren 60 years down the road. Why the whole country would be filled with brittle white folks because it's impossible to tell just by looking this is why we need laws. Wow. Just but I I digress. Um like yeah, okay. Yeah. I, so, I I 
Yeah, I'm having trouble forming the words. Carry sure. on. Sure. So back to 1911. <laughs> yeah. Um, and because Davenport's heredity in relation to eugenics wasn't awful enough, the Carnegie Institute published a report titled Preliminary Report of the Committee of the Eugenic Section of the American Breeders Association to Study and Report on the Best Practical Means for Cutting Off the Defective Germ Plasm in the Human Population. Uh, they they literally refer to the Breeders Association? Yes, the American Breeders Association. American Breeders Association. Yeah. Okay. Now this I report... Just, yeah? I just, I just had to confirm that because... Sure, sure what the fuck we're talking about humans but okay we are and it's going to get worse um <sighs> the the most uh th this report advocated among 17 other practices so they had like a list of 17 things you can do to better the human race uh -huh. amongst the other 17 was euthanasia in order to improve the gene pool and the most common recommendation to affect this sort of improvement was a local gas chamber paid for by public expense of that municipality starting in 1918. This was because the Army's venereal disease expert in 1918, a guy named Paul Popino, wrote a book called Applied Eugenics, in which he said, quote, from an historical point of view, the first method which presents itself is execution. Its value in keeping up the standard of the race should not be underestimated. So the Carnegie and, and Institute is recommending municipally funded gas chambers. And and this motherfucker mm -hmm. in, in 19, yeah, in yeah. 1918, it yes. is almost a certainty mm -hmm. because of cultural mores at the time. Mm -hmm. It is almost a certainty that this motherfucker went to church every Sunday. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he's arguing this. Well, it's not all he's arguing. But yes, literally, Jesus said, wept. Yeah. Like, like, okay. Well, and the reason Jesus is crying is because you're letting non-white white people fuck white people, weakening the white people. Of course, Jesus is weeping. Remember, remember what I said blue, earlier? Blue eyes. <laughs> and blonde hair and beard. Yeah. yeah. You know how I said earlier, it is it is physically oh. painful sitting here and not going and grabbing a broadsword from the other room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm 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 back there again. Like, oh, good. These these are not these are not people I can do anything to. But here's, I need to hit what, something with a sword right now. Here's what Popino, again, <laughs> the army expert on venereal diseases in 1918, said: "Quote, an elementary knowledge of the history of Africa." Oh no. <laughs> Or the most recent and much quoted example of Haiti. Oh, shit. Is sufficient to pr prove that the, I'm going to say ends, it's not the N word, but it's one that it shows it's up. It's etymologically in right next to it. Yeah. Yeah. It shows up okay. in Spanish a lot. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, that the ends own social heritage is at a level far below that of the whites among whom he is living in the United States. The end race is germinally lacking in higher developments of intelligence. There will be more on Popino later. Oh, joy. Yeah. Now, fortunately for uh. America, these chambers were never actually set up, but local doctors did practice what came to be known as, quote, improvised euthanasia, end quote. In a Wha yeah. What? True believers. 
again, enacting their conscience, doing the kindest thing, even though it might require me to do something that's personally uncomfortable to me, this is truly the kindest thing that I can do for this poor infant or these poor people. Now, this was to do that to do this was so <sighs> that they could quote strengthen the race end quote this included you might want to take another sip um an institution in lincoln illinois that fed its incoming patients milk from cows that had tuberculosis on purpose because the belief was that eugenically healthy individuals would be able to withstand tuberculosis laden milk so you can guess how much science went into that. Now, an, another common method was active neglect designed to kill patients in, in these institutions. That's another method that is used. But it's it's really <sighs> difficult to determine the number of people killed by these methods, yeah. given the lack of reporting at the time. Yeah, well, <clears throat> and just the fact that active neglect is is a hard thing to prove. Right. So statistically... I mean, that's, that's the, that would be the method that would be the easiest to deny. Exactly. If you, if you got called on it. Which is interesting because if you really believe in what you're doing, although in all well, fairness, if, if I'm breaking a law that is immoral and I also want to be able to go on breaking that law, I might lie about breaking that law as well. I, I can kind of understand that kind of mental gymnastics. Yeah, um, but especially if the the strengthening of the white race is at stake, and I happen to believe in that, and I have the power to do something about that by actively ignore, ignoring this uh, Lithuanian family's baby, who yeah. was born with a clubbed foot. Yeah. Yep. Fuck. Now, okay. because he can't just seem to leave us alone, back to Charles Davenport. Charles Davenport's personal life was an outward expression of his ideology. He married twice and he fathered 11 children. He was a wasp um, and he's upper class, decidedly so, and extremely well-educated for his time. So he's doing his part. Um, <laughs> We're doing our part. Right. While um, most academics... Ow. <laughs> While most okay. academics are regularly collaborating to produce research and writings, Davenport uh, was regularly reproducing, but also he wasn't collaborating with most academics. Uh, he only collaborated about 10% of his uh, 439 publications and projects. Most wait, wait, are collaborative. Wait. Yeah. 439. This son of a bitch got, got published. Yeah. 439 times. And he only collaborated on like 44 of them. Wow. White people suck. Yeah. He also walked he got, really. He got that much traction. Oh, yeah, yeah. Again, he's an academic. It's not like he's a crank out in the middle of the fucking woods. He is. He <sighs> set up an institution. He's getting money from the Carnegies. He's getting money from the Harrimans. He is influencing politicians to make policy. He is a mover and a shaker in this world. He also walked really fast and really far, too, to the point where few people tried to keep up with him. I just found that interesting. Okay. Charles Davenport had his own eugenics creed, by the way, according to a biographical memoir that was written by Oscar Riddle. Uh, here is um, his creed, point one. Or I, I, I labeled them points one through five. 
Um, I believe in striving to raise the human race to the highest plane of social organization, of cooperative work, and of effective endeavor. I believe, here's point two, I believe that I am the trustee of the germ plasm that I carry. Now, that's just fucking creepy. Uh, that this has been passed on to me through thousands of generations before me, and that I betray the trust if, that germ plasm being good, I so act as to jeopardize it with its excellent possibilities or from motives of personal convenience to unduly limit offspring. So in other words, I need to get out there and get fucking. I, I don't need to buy a new yacht. I got to fuck more. Point three, I believe that having made our choice in marriage carefully, we, as the married pair, should seek to have four to six children in order that our carefully selected germplasm shall be reproduced in adequate degree and that this preferred stock shall not be swamped by the less by that less carefully selected. I really want you to put a thumb in that point when we start analyzing the movie in full. Point four. I believe in such a selection of immigrants as shall not tend to or adulterate our national germplasm with socially unfit traits. So okay. wait, yeah. go, go back to read, reread that one. I believe in such a selection of immigrants as shall not tend to adulterate our national germplasm with socially unfit traits. Okay. So in other words, keep that immigrant come away from our good American white women. Right. Okay. Point five. Christmas. I believe in repressing my instincts when to follow them would injure the next generation. In other words, I'm not going to whorehouses. And this is in 19 what? Roughly? Well, that mean, we're talking about this? 1910s to the 20s. He wrote okay. in he he wrote uh the the book that I'd mentioned earlier in 1911, uh Heredity okay. in, in relation to eugenics. Um and yeah, he he set up the um eugenics uh office of records in 1910 um he's a big big deal for a while and then i i believe he dies in the 1920s okay so um, you can yeah so yeah the, that last point talking yes. about you know not not utilizing the services of sex workers well i um, i interpreted it as that okay said, well i'm gonna repress my instincts when to follow them would injure the next generation okay so yeah and and yeah there's there's multiple different circumstances of that, but your your statement in regard to sex workers mm-hmm. is interesting to me because of the culture of Vic, well, yeah, Victorian Britain, mm-hmm. where um it was Edwardian at this point but yeah yeah well at this point Edwardian but but prior to that you know in the in the generation immediately before that Mm -hmm. um it it had been a a consistent you know issue um that that or or was was just considered kind of a thing that men did Mm -hmm. was was going out and and you know hiring prostitutes was just a commonplace thing. And I wonder how much of that was a, an American Protestant. Uh, oh, very much response to that. Very much. Very much. Yeah. Yeah. 
So you can imagine Davenport's beliefs when it came to Southern and Eastern European immigrants and interracial coupling and the children that came from it. Can we guess what he thought about the poor people having children while we're at it? (laughs) (laughs) I, I would, I would venture to guess that he didn't think it was a good idea. No. Now, after the great war, there was a lot more focus on science and using science to improve society. In addition to a lack of study on the effects of war on soldiers' psychological capabilities, uh, there was also an inverse increase into the study of genetics on the effects of psychological and mental health traits instead. So so in other words, uh, despite having just put millions of young men through an incredibly traumatic experience, the first large-scale global major modern war, with all its new terrors previously not experienced by soldiers on any massive scale, Social scientists then turned to genetics to explain why these men came back mentally broken, questioning their initial fitness instead of the impact of the war. (laughs) Because, Because, of course, we have to blame the victim, because if we don't blame the victim, we have to look at the systemic issues that led to this. Right, and those systemic issues must be genetic. They can't possibly be that we put them into a goddamn meat grinder filled with poison gas. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it, it can't be that warfare has fundamentally changed. Ed, war into... has been a constant companion of humanity. I mean, wouldn't okay. we have seen that earlier? No, we wouldn't have. <laughs> because if you spend 15 fucking minutes or less reading accounts of warfare in the middle ages up through the civil war. And then you read about the experience that was gone through by the men in world war one. You'd see actually, no, we don't even have to do that. We don't even have to do that. The American civil war Mm -hmm. was the first time that we start actually seeing a significant number of cases of, of what we now call PTSD. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and it's because up until the Civil War, mm-hmm. it was significantly less common for that kind of instantaneous, violent, holy shit trauma mm-hmm. to be inflicted on men on the field of battle. Even in the Napoleonic era, mm-hmm. you had battles that were being fought, that were set piece battles where everybody involved had the time to see the enemy coming. To, to psychologically prepare for the shock of battle. And mm-hmm. thus, you didn't see the kinds of neurological, uh, uh, neuropsychological damage that led to PTSD. In I this, also think that uh, the Civil War is you know, fought frequency. over, like, if you look at the other wars, yeah, they're wars of expansion or yeah. defense. Okay. Civil War was one of ideology. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that's that meaningful. Yeah. I think it does. I think it does. No. I I Because everybody thought they had God on their side. And then like yeah. if you lose territory, you're like, well, fucking God, I guess like like them better. But like if you've got an ideology where like God really wants me to own human beings, and then you lose, like mm. that can't be it. Like Well, yeah. Oh yeah. So, so anyway, sorry. Davenport that's, that's gets a pet put... peeve of mine. Yep. Davenport gets put in charge of uh, a study of soldiers with government backing uh, to study and catalog the various defects that were found in soldiers, as well as their geographic distributions. And with all of this data, Davenport was able to make several claims about genetics and the impact of generations 
uh, on certain genes on modern disorders. And after he retired, Davenport also got into child development with a mind toward eugenics. So now I feel like I have to keep rewinding here. All of this was Davenport from 1911 through the end of the Great War. But now let's rewind it back to 1894 again when the Immigration Restriction League was founded. Uh, a specifically eugenics-based group that lobbied for restriction of immigration, literacy tests, and deportations. An anti-immigration think tank, if you will. Um, McKinley and later Wilson would veto bills that were passed by Congress to make immigrants take literacy tests. Really? Yeah. Now, McKinley vetoed it twice. Um, No, I'm sorry. Uh, Wilson vetoed it twice and Congress overrode his second veto, which means two thirds of the house and two thirds of the Senate were like, no, fuck you do it. Okay. So wait, Woodrow Wilson, Woodrow Wilson, (laughs) Woodrow racist ass Wilson. Yeah. Vetoed this. Yeah. Well, okay. Because, because I'm going to go out on a limb. Okay. Not it's, it's a pretty heavy limb. I think it can support my weight. Um, but Wilson probably looked at it and went, well, okay, now you're trying to stop white people getting in the country. We, we need more white people. I think Wilson also had the belief that he himself was very pro-American and I'm sorry, it is un-American to give literacy tests. Uh, okay. I I think there was that. Now, uh, overriding someone's veto back then did not happen often, right? No. And when it comes to being hella racist, they go ahead and override the veto. And keep in mind, this is Woodrow Wilson, the guy who limited black hirings by the federal government. Mm -hmm. And when he was in charge of Princeton, made it more racist and more anti-black as an institution. He wasn't being racist enough for Congress in 1917. (laughs) So this this league that was started in 1894 was uh, founded by Prescott Farnsworth Hall, which I'm sorry, that name just automatically makes you a racist. Um, Well, and that name sounds like uh, you you need to be a a, uh, chicken shit heel uh, (laughs) manager type. Absolutely. Damn. All right. Uh, Charles Warren, Robert Tucorsi Ward, and Henry Cabot Lodge. Okay, I recognize that last <laughs> name. Yeah, I'm going to go over each one of them uh, in, a, in a bit. Um, so uh, where did I go? Um, all of these men believed that American wasp culture was being weakened by the new trends in immigration in the 1800s and early 1900s. What with all those non-white whites coming in from Southern and Eastern Europe, you see. And this is largely due to the 4 million Italians and 4 million Austrians that came to the U.S. And amongst those Austrians, a significant number were Jewish Austrians, not just standard Catholic Austrians. And from 1865 to 1924, these two regions accounted for over 40% of America's immigration. Now, private racist groups have had a long history in the United States. But when they begin lobbying the state and the federal governments to pass laws to push their agenda, it becomes policy. And that's ensconced in the government that that and it's ensconced in government that in such groups that that they are going to have this kind of access. Charles Warren was a legal scholar who got appointed to assistant attorney general by Woodrow Wilson. Okay, so he's the second guy right below the top cop. 
He was also quoted by Louis Brandeis in a Supreme Court case. Prescott Farnsworth Hall was a notable lawyer who had lobbied for the 1917 Immigration Act. Rodney, or I'm sorry, Robert DeCourcy Ward was the foremost meteorologist of his time, which is weird. Um, but he also was the first president of the American Meteorological Society in 1920. He was also an expert testifier in the committee hearings on the 1924 Immigration Act. Um, he advocated that humans had an impact on climate, too. Um, he was also, I know, like he he's all over the board. He was also a part of the Harvard Admissions Committee and specifically helped limit the freshman class to being no more than 15% Jewish in 1925, just because. And of course, there's Henry lovely. Cabot Lodge. What's that? Yeah. Just lovely. Of course, yeah. he's yeah. behind that because, you know. Yeah. Henry Cabot Lodge was a federal lawmaker who had authored a bill and filibustered, uh, which was filibustered by Democrats that aimed at protecting the voting rights of black people in the 1890. So okay. he, he was like, give black people the right to vote. They're Americans. And the Democrats filibustered him. And right. two years later in 1892, he went on to use the newspaper to, to blame 11 Italian Americans and immigrants to, or in 11 Italian Americans and immigrants in Louisiana, who'd been lynched, he went on to blame them in a newspaper for their own murder. Uh, he used this as a reason to start restricting Italian immigration. Huh. He was also pro-imperialism after the Spanish-American War ended. Mm. Um, he wrote in the, there's a book that he wrote, uh, or there's a book that, that came out uh, called The Great Peril of Unrestricted Immigration. He wrote, Henry Cabot Lodge wrote, quote, you can take a Hindu, and it's with two O's, uh, mm. and, and give him the highest education the world can afford, but you cannot make him an Englishman. Okay. So all of these men weren't just a think tank and a fringe group. They absolutely impacted immigration policy and infused it with their eugenics ideology as they went. So now we are going to look at the states for a little bit. Okay. State legislatures had been introducing eugenics-based laws for a while. Connecticut passed a law in 1896 prohibiting epileptics. By the way, epileptics comes up a lot. Um, I, it seems like a, a umbrella term for people who suffer from seizures at that time. Okay. Okay. Um, so prohibiting epileptics, so, imbeciles. Ableism. Yes. So prohibiting epileptics, imbeciles, and the feeble-minded from getting married. So since you need a license to marry, this was considered an acceptable requirement to put on marriage licenses. Ugh. Modern medical studies on the life expectancy of epilepsy show now that inherited epilepsy will shorten a person's life by about 10 years on average. This is hardly a reason to deny someone a, a marriage license. Yeah. Now, Michigan took a different approach as early as 1897. Michigan their legislature tried to get a castration law passed. It failed. The law was aimed at certain types of criminals and, quote, degenerates, end quote, to stop them from spreading their criminally their criminality and degeneracy onto the next generation. Because crime is hella genetic and not at right. all tied totally to not environment or poverty. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not like they had the ability to gather census data either nationwide or in prisons. So it just must have been a mystery back then about mm -hmm. who did yeah, totally. Crimes. 
Totally, yeah. obviously. Yeah. And that leads us to the study of families that also got started increasing in popularity for eugenicists who were trying to prove that degeneracy and crime and feeble-mindedness were all inheritable traits. And that gets us to the Jukes family, the Noms family, and the Calacax family. These are all pseudonyms. In short order, the Jukes were colloquially called hill people in New York. Richard Dugdale was a sociologist who was working in the prison system in New York. And in 1874, he noted that eight prisoners all had the same surname. He later would change it to Juke. Okay, so I'm just going to use Jukes. Okay. Um, this is a pseudonym because back then people had some inconsistent ideas about anonymity. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so like if you if you were in the newspaper, they would be like Ed Blaylock, who lives at one, two, three, yeah, yeah. any street. You know, it's like, yeah. what the fuck? You know? Yeah. Um, but then, well, these are the jukes. We're not gonna give you the real name. So uh interestingly though, they the though they were all related, these criminals all had four different family names that they were using. Um, which can kind of make sense if uh if you look at like Earl Warren, the governor of California, um, and later on um the Supreme Court uh Chief Justice. Um mm-hmm. if you have somebody who claims to be a member of his family, their name doesn't have to be Warren. This is true. Right? So if yeah. you had three daughters, that kind of thing. So they're all using different names, but this guy is like, oh, they're all part of the Juke family, right? Which now you're starting to call into question a few a few questions of like, who are you, mm-hmm. including who you're not? And now because of this oddity, he dug deeper and he found that there were actually 29 male blood relatives of whom 17 had been in and out of prison who, who were considered part of the Juke line. Um, okay. D- Dugdale lived up to his name again and digging into the history of the surrounding New York County jails and poorhouses and found that this Hill family had a storied past of dealings with the law. As best as he could, Dugdale constructed the family tree and found that they all linked back to a common ancestor, Max Juke. Again, pseudonym, right. uh, which kind of pisses me off. Um, anyway, Max had been a direct descendant to, quote, 180 had either been in the poorhouse or received outdoor relief to the extent of 800 years. That is like if you add up the amount of yeah, like, yeah. you got three months, I got three months. That's a total of six months, right? Yeah. Okay. Um continued. Uh there had been 140 criminals and offenders, 60 habitual thieves, seven lives sacrificed by murder, 50 common prostitutes, 50 women venereally diseased, contaminating 440 pe- persons, and 30 prosecutions. This was in addition to 18 brothel runners. So it's kind of nice to see that the Juke family has some management material um, and two people who were deemed feeble minded. And since they were Dutch, I'm going to say that they weren't Jewish. I'm going to assume that that feeble mindedness was not an inherent trait of Judaism. Yeah. Okay. So again I, there's some problems with the way that he's counting these things for instance uh he started in 1874 and so he's going back to the common ancestor who was <clears throat> if i recall correctly um is it this family or the other family anyway uh, this this goes back to a guy that got here in the 1700s so if you go over 100 years and you spread that tree out enough, 
Yeah. Getting outdoor relief or being in the poorhouse for any amount of time during the Great Panic of 1837 uh, and and basically every 20 years you're having economic depressions it it's it's weirder to not have that yeah you know it would it would be more statistically meaningful yeah yeah so so yeah and then uh how are you tracking the 50 women venereally disease contaminating 440 persons like that's really really good sociology you're doing there but i don't know if you had the tools to do it back then uh, yeah so. um yeah, I don't know if you'd even have the tools to do it reliably now. Yeah, frankly, like I mean, we just we we were living through a pandemic still, and we couldn't get contract days tracing down in any school district that I knew of. Yeah, and that's when people were like home. Yeah. Um, now a woman called Ada, again a pseudonym, married one of Max's sons, and so she was tagged with the moniker "the mother of all crime." And what's fun here is that uh, that Dugdale's obsession with genealogy led him to telling the New York State Legislature in Albany that the Juke family had collectively cost the state over $1.3 million in 1877 monies. You so know... Like, yeah, go on. Mother, mother of all... Was it crimes or criminals? Uh, crime. Okay, mother of all crime... Sounds an awful lot like welfare queen. Right? Like <laughs> I had the same know, thought. Nothing nothing is new under the sun. Like no. okay. No. Uh now he claims, uh Dugdale claims that quote, over a million and a quarter dollars of loss in seventy five years caused by a single family twelve hundred strong, without reckoning the cash paid for whiskey or taking into account the entailment of pauperism and crime of the survivors and succeeding generations and the incurable disease, idiocy and insanity growing out of this debauchery and reaching further than we can calculate. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thrown into Owen Wilson territory. Like, wow, is kind of all I can summon. To, to a statement like that, that begs so many questions all at once. Right. I mean, here's where I get mad that just anyone can write fucking anything, right? Of all the jukes, <laughs> of, of all the jukes that Dugdale accounted for, he himself admitted that it wasn't a single family, but 42 different families. Like, he's not yeah. even doing like, like Davenport level. Shit. Yeah, or and, and you know, yeah. What what gets me is like, okay, well, we're going. I can trace them all back to one common ancestor. Well, you know what? If you go a little bit farther back, motherfucker, you probably find that a whole bunch of them are descended from Genghis Khan, right? Like, how? Like, I that's how, bullshit how you, on so many be, levels. How can you be this bad that you make Galton look reasonable? <laughs> You know, <laughs> I I don't know if I'd go that far, but well, Galton yeah. at least was like, well, once you get one, you know, level out, the exceptionality yeah. of the, of the okay, family oh, oh, okay, on that level, okay. Juke yes, is like, yes. well, let's bring it all in, and now this, look how shitty just, it is. Like forty-two different you know, families, and even though he said that they were all a family, 
he admitted that only 540 out of the 709 that he had charted were actually related consanguinely. Okay, wait. So you married a into third, a third of right. the people he's talking about married in. Yeah. Well, okay, no, fuck you, man. Like, well, but, but he he gets on. all Lamarckian about it. He's like, oh. and he says, "quote Environment tends to produce habits which may become hereditary." Oh, like, fuck you! Like, no, yeah. This this no. Either this has to do with the bloodline, or it doesn't. Right. Like you don't you don't get to you don't get to pick both sides at once. Yeah. No. Oh my god, and and that's like that's that's just the intellectual honesty part of the argument. Let's let's not uh even even worry about touching on the uh uh overtones of racism and mm-hmm. you classism. Know, These are classism. Classism. Which, by the way, hill people in New York, if you take a look at a map that that can stretch down into Appalachia, you get into where Melungeon folks uh, are as right. well. Yeah. Yeah. There's your racism. There's your classism. There's yeah, your like whiteism. Come on, motherfucker. Like, do a little real work. Yeah. But of course, you know, in, in every case we're going to talk about here, I know that they've all started from an answer and they're cherry picking evidence to support that answer because that's, that's how all of this works, Mm -hmm. which is uh, God damn it. Now we're going to fast forward to 1915 and Arthur Estabrook, uh, that autocrat kept trying to switch to Eastbrook. So if I say Eastbrook, it's Estabrook. Okay. Um, a renowned eugenicist who worked for the eugenics records office, wrote the jukes in 1915 as a follow-up and he actually upped the estimated cost of the jukes to two million even um his critique of dugdale was that dugdale's study quote does not demonstrate the inheritance of criminality pauperism or harlotry but it does show that heredity with certain environmental conditions determines criminality harlots and pauperism i love the inclusion of harlotry Yes. Like you got to you got to get that that Protestant yes. dig in there. Yeah. And and the the moral equivalence attached to pauperism, harlotry mm-hmm. and and criminality. criminality. Yeah. Like being only, poor. Only one of those things should be a crime. Criminality. I mean, you know, yeah, criminality. <laughs> like are we talking about armed robbery? Theft? Yeah, actually, we are. Um, like, know. if you go back to the list that he had, yes, those yeah, are two okay. things. Okay, but like, still, yes, we can we can make a case for mm-hmm. criminality being a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, harlotry, um, like it's environmental you know, presentism, presentism aside, mm-hmm. you know, what whatever your feelings on you know sex work is work, which it is, uh, for the purposes of this podcast. Um, but you know, whatever your feelings on that issue are, um, that's, that's not nearly the same kind of thing ethically as, you know, threatening violence against somebody to take their stuff Mm -hmm. and, uh, pauperism, like you don't, you don't go out and, and commit pauperism, right? Pauperism gets committed on you by the system. Like, like I, I don't there are people stealing you know, your labor <laughs> like and 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 
that immediately for me ties back to the massive ethical problem or moral problem we in this country have uh uh descended from our puritan roots mm-hmm. as a as a nation uh as a, as a state construct mm-hmm. um that this is a Calvinist idea that if you're poor, well, you're, you, there's a moral failing involved in the fact that you're poor. Right. Like, and you being poor, well, you're a, you're a drain on the state and that's morally reprehensible. Like, um, no, I'm a pauper because generational wealth doesn't get distributed in, in a, an equitable kind of way. Right. And I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my fucking mouth. So how about you fuck off with the moralism and find a way to systemically help me out here? But yeah. 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 So he says that like, look, he didn't, he Estabrook critiques Dugdale and says like, he didn't show that there is an inheritance at a genetic level, but he does show that genetics mixed with environment does lead to these things now notice that estabrook is not saying to what extent that combination mm. makes oh he's weaseling hard yes he also added another 2111 jukes to the 709 that dugdale had found huh. um which ironically <laughs> you're almost at the end of your cup Ironically, this actually diffuses the amount of criminality that the family was supposedly genetically responsible for. Because you add over 2,000 people, but the amount of crimes doesn't go up that much. This means that... uh, But Estabrook still declared them unredeemables, and he stated that it was all about genetics, which means, according to Estabrook, that the New York government should step in and stop them all from fucking anymore. And the jukes were proof of what happens if you don't step in and do what's grimly necessary. Now, this is not the only family study. Uh, <sighs> because, of the, course, it isn't. No, no, no. In fact, yeah. these come into vogue in, in a big way. The Calicacs are probably the most famous, although the jukes are the easiest to say. Um, the Calicacs are another pseudonym, um, and they become another genetic punching bag for eugenicists. Now, there is a, a book, uh, a, a study uh, that I read, um, and the copy that I read had in its opening pages written in a halting kind of cursive, quote, uh-huh. to Dr. Shuttleworth in recognition of his great and valuable work for the feeble-minded, and incidentally, his kindness to me personally, with heartiest greetings from the author. Vineland, New Jersey, March 4, 1913. The very okay. first very first page of content uh to the copy that I read is and and it's a first edition copy it's fucking signed by the author uh signed to the doctor of an asylum mm-hmm. um it's a picture of Deborah Kalikak uh quote and this is the uh caption caption it appears yeah. today at the training school now by all appearances Deborah Kalikak is a perfectly typical and Kalikak is another uh pseudonym but she's a perfectly typical-looking brunette posing for a picture while sitting uh, with a cat on her lap and an open book in her hand. Now, I did find their names. Her real name was Emma Wolverton, and she lived until April of 1978 when she died at the age of 89, which is long enough to possibly have seen 
the sitcom that was named after the Kalakak family that lasted for only five episodes on NBC. It launched and died in August of 1977. She spent 81 years of her life in an institution. Um, the sitcom starred David Huddleston. You'd know him as the legless Big Lebowski. You'd known him uh, uh, as well as uh, one of the um, uh, Howard Johnson is right from from the- oh yeah 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 okay okay. Also, it starred Bonnie Ebsen, Buddy Ebsen's daughter, and okay. Edie McClurg. Okay. It's largely about a get-rich, beat-the-system family from Appalachia who operates a crooked gas station. It only lasted five episodes. Okay. But it lasted long enough, or, or like she lived long enough that she might have actually seen a sitcom only last five episodes using the name of the pseudonym of the family uh, of, of her, her own family. family. Yeah. Anyway, back to something truly awful. Uh, Henry H. Goddard wrote the Calicac family, a study in heredity of feeble mindedness in 1912. Uh, Goddard is the guy who translated the Binet test into the English uh, for Americans and helped to disseminate it here in America. He added the word moron to the medical terminology. Oh, lovely. Um, yes. Uh, he also is from, uh, Goddard is from a Quaker family with an affinity for polyglottery. Uh, he's got, uh, Henry Goddard has got a history of being that, that helpful kind of bigot. Um, he was part of the first effort to get blind and intellectually disabled children access to public education. He helped write the first law for that. He also helped advance jurisprudence for those with disabilities by testifying that people who had substandard intelligence ought not be fully responsible legally for their crimes uh, that are, you know, that responsibility should be only for people who are typically intelligenced. Um, those are actually really valuable things that he did there. Mm-hmm. But this is in 1914. He also advocated hard for standardized intelligence tests in a number of institutions, which makes sense given the above. Yeah. But it's his study of the Calicacs that really stands out to me. Goddard was the head researcher at the Vinland Training School for the Feeble-Minded Girls and Boys from 1906 to 1918. During his time there, he developed the idea that democracy was when people chose their leaders and let themselves be told by uh, be told what to do by, quote, selecting the wisest, most intelligent, and most human to tell them what to do to be happy. Okay, so, stop. Back full up. circle to Plato, yeah. <clears throat> most human? Yeah. Um, I I didn't <laughs> realize that, that that was a sliding scale. I, oh, it I, is. I thought that was a that was a binary. You either no. are, or you ain't. No, because he remember he translated the Binet test. <sighs> so okay. I have a problem with meritocracies. Most um, human. Most well, human. Okay, you know, mm-hmm. I'm I. Yes. Never mind. I, yeah. I'm not. You know what? I can't. Especially now, finished <laughs> three beers deep. I I can't. I can't defend the position. But yeah, like yeah, most human. Like, most human. Oh my god, these people. All uh-huh. right. And yet he did do good shit for people with disabilities. Well, you know, like, people are allowed to be complicated. Yeah, you well, know, legacies and, and I, are allowed to be complicated. I like, I'm totally think fine with that. This is part of that well-meaning does damage 
Yeah. Because yeah. he would not have separated this part from, from I got the other kids part. to go to school. Yeah. They yeah. all come from the same well for him. He's a Quaker trying to make the world better. Right. So I guess the real lesson here is the Quakers are really the problem in America. <laughs> well, you know, I joke, I joke. They're, they're like, um, no, no, they're, they're like per capita. They're the ones that were the most abolitionist. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, this, this is entirely yeah. true. You're, you're so, entirely and the most but, conscientious objector. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, Doesn't mean but, there were but, deep wells of, Oh fuck, you're wrong. What the, um, what the hell? Yeah. wait a minute what um would you like to hear the names that he gave to the quartiles for iq test takers hold on Uh uh-huh go ahead so on an iq test right yeah yeah um if you got a zero to a 25 right you were officially an idiot okay a 26 to a 50 you were officially an imbecile okay a 51 to a 70, you were officially a moron. Okay. I couldn't find his class- classification for above 70. Okay. But those became the terms. Okay. So so my father yes. got a psychology degree mm-hmm. in, oh, this would have been 72, mm-hmm. I want to say. Um, and the term for an IQ below 100, yes, but close to 100, yes, was dull normal, yeah, okay. So that, that I don't know that's if that's the first I don't deviation know if that's away this from guy, 100, basically, yeah, I, I don't know if that's this guy, but it would have been in response to this guy or built oh, okay. off of what this guy did, okay, yeah, all right. So in his study, in Goddard's study of the Kalakak family, they all came from Martin Kalakak, the Revolutionary War soldier. And again, this is uh, the Wolverton family, I think. Um, although I don't know if it's Wolverton all the way back, it, you know. Okay, but they're, they're all they're all direct line, one way or another, descendants from one individual. Well, right? interestingly enough. No, no, they're not. Goddard determined that a bunch of people were varyingly distantly related and that they all came from Martin, right? Martin's first wife was a good Quaker woman and all their offspring were fine. That's Uh, Sarah, right? She had Isaac. Um, He then also determined that Martin had stepped out on his wife with a, quote, nameless, feeble-minded woman. Great. So that's, that's a your... lovely. Yeah. Okay. So wait a minute. He stepped out on his wife with a, with a nameless feeble minded woman. woman. Yeah. So um, that immediately throws uh, an, an awful lot of sketch onto any attribution we might have of, well, this person is descended from the nameless feeble minded woman. Cause she's fucking nameless. Well, and, like, and also on. I'd point out like you have a man who is otherwise of good seed. Look what happens when he breeds with somebody who isn't. That weakness just threads its way through. Okay, but like historiographically. Oh, yeah, I agree. That's bullshit. Okay, but anyway. So so he stepped on his wife. has very Abrahamic roots to me. Oh, oh, yeah. You got Isaac and 
Ishmael. Yeah. Like, oh, very much. Yeah. yeah. So the nameless feeble minded woman, this coupling led to quote, a race of defective degenerates end quote. Wow. <laughs> Tell us what you really think there, pal. Right now he goes back to his wife and he abandons this woman and he ignores that child. Now, the child of that coupling, whose real name was John Wolverton Jr., which tells me then that Martin Kalikak's real name was John Wolverton. Um, yeah. John Wolverton Jr., the child of the nameless, feeble-minded woman, then went on to father a bunch, who also fathered a bunch, and so on down the line. This led to a bunch of children on the feeble-minded side. And the problem with the feeble-minded relatives was that you couldn't tell just by looking. It's invisible. And therefore, it's impossible to segregate against them without a bunch of research and legislation. Now, Goddard absolutely was in favor of preventing them from fucking, but he stopped short of saying things like they should get killed. He wanted colonies for them instead and institutions, literally like the one that he met Deborah Kalakak, Emma Wolverton, in. Uh, an institution where such people could be taught menial labor, freeing up the rest of us. So there's your Morlocks. Oh, great. And by the way, the reason that she was institutionalized was because she didn't get along with other children, which is clearly evidence of bad breeding when you're eight. I hate everyone involved in this fucking episode. You see why I took a depression nap? So much. This isn't the part that caused me to take a nap. But the Jukes and the Kalakaks were used in psychology textbooks through the 1950s. Yeah, I can believe that. Yeah. Now, what's important to note here is that Goddard's book was nearly made into a Broadway play. <laughs> what? Yes. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. And again, I, I bring that up because, again, we're here to analyze idiocracy i mean we're not going to get to it this episode but there's just some pins i'm i'm putting out there that i want you to pick up when we get there and also a decade later goddard agreed with his critics that his conclusions were actually groundless later it was determined that this was the case because goddard straight up made shit up to sell his book uh, and to make his stuff hang together okay yeah and at the same time goddard worked at ellis island adjusting and norming the IQ tests that were given to immigrants who were coming here for a better life starting in 1913. <laughs> <sighs> and here's what's wild. He genuinely meant well. He fucking meant well. This was supposed to be an improvement over just letting an untrained guard look at someone and decide. You got to have standards. Okay. And after four years of work, he published this study that only focused on immigrants who were found in steerage. No first or second class passengers. Okay. Why bother? And he selected out before even beginning those who were obviously not feeble-minded. So at first, more than 80% of the population that he'd selected were determined to be feeble-minded. And this finding was widely publicized and definitely fed into the 1924 Immigration Act. Goddard later would renorm the test because he's like, wow, the 80% is a little high. So he renormed it. And he's like, ah, 40%. That meets the requirement of calling them morons. Never mind the fact they don't speak fucking English. Right. Never and mind. You're going from French into English and then into 
whatever that target language is. Yeah. Jesus. Okay. Now, hilariously, Goddard thought that these IQ tests would help determine who'd be fit for democracy. And when he gave the test to army personnel, he determined that they weren't fit for democracy. <laughs> so, uh, that's funny. so for his part when goddard <laughs> realized the extent of his wrongness he did actually seek to correct it but the genie was already out of the bottle people absolutely mm. clung to his early shit ignored his later shit similar to how so many older white folks cite morgan friedman's discussion with uh bill wallace or with mike wallace from back in 2002 remember where he's like you know uh I, why do we have to have a month do you have a jewish history month why do mm -hmm. I have to just get a month? Uh, why yeah. don't you just call me a man and I'll call you a man? Don't call me a black man. I won't call you a white man or a Jewish right, man. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. It was, it was yeah, that yeah. interview with Mike Wallace, right? So yeah. a lot of white people really like citing that one, despite the fact that Morgan Freeman's opinion changed over time. And also despite the fact that Morgan Freeman, last I checked, is an actor with a really cool voice and not a legal, sociological, or ethnic studies scholar. Indeed. Now, I'm not discounting his experience as a person and whatever he wants to be called, you should call him that. But he also, in the last 21 years, has changed what he said since then. But people still yeah. go right back to that. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same. Is, people yeah. are like, look at all this good shit that like feeds yeah. my racist ideology. Similar, similar vibe. Yeah. Now, as these family studies uh, came into vogue, along came the idea that social change was futile, it, futile, if society wasn't going to select out the unfit. After all, there were pictures, <sighs> there were charts, there were graphs, there were books and articles, and all of these things were written by learned men who explained it in very complicated terms. And therefore, the only true way to improve society is where we're going to start with next week. Forced sterilization. Oh. oh. Lovely. Yeah. Okay. And remember, all of this is to analyze a, a movie with Luke Wilson in it. Yeah. Wow. And Dax Shepard. So <laughs> so what what have you gleaned? Um <laughs> that that you need to if you are truly going to be intellectually honest. You need to be willing to to interrogate when you are begging the question. Yeah. And you need to consistently be prepared to face the fact that you have implicit biases. And you need to constantly make yourself aware of them. Mm -hmm. and and work actively to counter them because so much of this shit so much of this is rooted in not doing any of that mm -hmm. um you know and and that if you have a monetary or a prestige motivation uh, for a particular idea to be correct, mm -hmm. it is going to be very hard for you to not find evidence, even if that evidence is bullshit. Yeah. To support that idea. Like, yep. oh hey, oddly enough, um, I can I can show that 
all these folks are related and they're all descended from this one individual. And, you know, I can sell a book based on the idea that, well, you know, we need to keep this stuff under control. Right. What anxieties can I pull on to make money yeah. out of this? Yeah. Or to and, clout. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can totally believe a hundred and a hundred percent of what you're saying mm-hmm. uh, because you have a vested interest in believing it. Absolutely. You know, um, there's your kayfabe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're kayfabing yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the, the idea and, and speaking, you know, from, from my own point of view, I think it's really, it's, it's, it can, it, it is consistently fascinating to me mm-hmm. how much, uh, how much philosophy, how much political thinking, how much everything from the mid 1800s up through the 1930s 40s was specifically built around somehow this idea that like of all the groups of people in the world uh we as americans uh needed to be looking at the example of very specifically the anglo-saxon english like not not like, you know, the the legacy of Western Europe, not the legacy of Rome, not right, you know, but like specifically, no, no, the Anglo-Saxons. Like okay. of all the groups of people in the world, like uh-huh. they were they were Germanics who converted to Christianity early. Well, and the concept of Anglo-Saxon is a relatively recent one too. Yeah like 1800s that they they developed that um as a concept. yeah largely yeah and and it's and so it's, it's tied up. yeah well like, yeah and it's and it's tied to the same time period as the birth of nationalism and the idea mm-hmm. of you know nations being tied to a linguistic or ethnic kind of group and like i can understand that but the fact that so many people who themselves were not a hundred percent Anglo-Saxon clung to it here in the United States. Like of all the groups, like, you know, even, even if we take at face value, the idea that, well, like, okay, we want like Nordics, right? Well, Nordic, if we're, if we're going by the bullshit theory of, of uh, latitude, Mm -hmm. uh, like, okay, well, so, so by that logic, uh, the Swedes, the Norwegians, and the Scots mm-hmm. should be the ones that that you're looking at, not the Anglo-Saxons. Like they're they're in Mercia for fuck's sake. Like what what are you? Like, come on, right? And and the yeah, just the consistent intellectual dishonesty. Yeah, involved in so much of this. Like and you that's, can't and even, that's you can't even racism consistently. <laughs> like, okay, is it linguistic or is it genetic? Like, what right. what are we talking about here? Is it you know, yeah, uh, and and it's it's there are always folks who want to try to point to well, you know, look at look at what kids were learning in school, 
and the standard of what a test in in school looked like in you know the the 19 teens compared right. to today and like you know what 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 are they learning at the at like in the middle school level and I'm like okay yeah we can do that but let's also look at the fact that grown adults mm-hmm. like we're not like as a as a class of people white Americans were not utilizing the ability to look at all of this shit and go, well, that's internally inconsistent on its face. Right. Well, and also just look at the dropout rate boggling. and the employment rate. Like, yeah, yeah, that's true. But also the dropout rate was roughly over 50% at that time. And employment was yeah. largely guaranteed. Yeah. You could feed your family on an eighth grade education. Not having yeah. passed that final, you know? Or, or or a sixth grade education for that matter, but right. yeah, so. you know, yeah. So, I guess that's that's kind of my takeaway is okay. like this sucks, and <laughs> you know, and and it kind of always has. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, it's so it's, it's, it's going to actually get worse. Fuck me. You know, I knew you were going to say that, but yeah. I didn't want to think about it. Sorry. Yeah, it's okay. That's so. what we do. Cool. Anything so. you want to recommend to folks? Um, Not at present. Okay. Uh, how about you? Yeah, actually. Uh, I'm going to continue to give you the salt and the sweet. Um, Saint Mick. My Journey from Hardcore Legend to Santa's Jolly Elf by Mick Foley. Nice. He's a relentlessly, relentlessly positive fellow. And yeah. he often talks about how he got dealt a bad hand genetically in terms of, you know, wrestling is very much about how you look. Um, And he's right. Like, he looks like us. Yeah. Uh, And yet he was one of the most popular, most over, most beloved wrestlers of all time. Mm. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I I just I love his positivity. So okay. anyway, Very I strongly cool. recommend that. So all right, nice. Cool. Uh, do you want to be found? At present, I do not want to be found. No. How about you? Yeah. Uh, go ahead and find me on thread or threads rather. Uh, duh harmony. Um, and then where can our podcast be found? Uh, the podcast can be found at wubba 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 dot geekhistorytime dot com. Uh, we can be found on uh, Stitcher or uh, the Apple Podcast app. Uh, obviously, you found us somewhere. Uh, so wherever you have found us, please take a moment to give us the five-star review that you know Damien's uh, research has earned. Uh, and hit the subscribe button wherever it is, please. Um, and then otherwise, we collectively for the moment... Uh, can be found on Twitter as Gay History Time. Good. Oh, I actually update. Um, and and sorry to step on you on this one. Um, but in fact, Stitcher no longer exists. So oh, Spotify well, and the uh, Apple Podcast app. and the Apple Podcast app. So there you go. So there you go. So, All right. Cool. Well, for Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony, and I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time. Ow, my balls! <laughs>